You're listening to Grow Yourself Up, a weekly mental health podcast hosted by Kath Cunahan. I'm a psychotherapist, writer, and speaker working in private practice in London. I specialize in the impact of our own childhood on our parenting and how we can heal and integrate our childhood trauma, wounding, and stress so that we can inhabit our full adult selves. Join us each week as we talk about all things growing ourselves up, how we can tend to ourselves in our parenting, generational healing, and overcoming the impacts of childhood trauma. Together, we will become more self-compassionate, connected, authentic, resilient, and heart-centered, so we can live our own full and beautiful lives. As a listener of this podcast, you're welcome to come over and join the Facebook group. So search on Facebook for Grow Yourself Up. It's a private Facebook group of all the listeners. And did you know there are journal prompts that go along with every episode? So sign up for the journal prompts on kathcunahan.com or go to my Instagram, kathcunahan, and sign up at the link in the bio there. And you will get my newsletter, Nurture, Heal, Grow, which contains all the journal prompts. Looking forward to seeing you in the Facebook group. The podcast is produced each week by the wonderful Audio Cafe. Thanks for being here. Welcome back. It's episode 18 of Grow Yourself Up. And today I want to talk about what I think is possibly the most important ingredient in post-traumatic growth or on any healing journey. It's a topic that some of you may raise your eyes at. And indeed, I used to do that because I thought it was letting myself off the hook. So today we're going to be talking a lot about self-compassion, what that actually means and why it is really helpful for us. And I want to explain to you that it's actually the exact opposite of letting yourself off the hook. It's a way of actually helping with um, accountability. And it's very, very necessary ingredient on a healing pathway. So if we think about what it is we need in the present, if we're trying to heal from trauma or you know, calm our nervous system, what we really need is a relationship with ourselves in the present moment where we support ourselves, whatever is going on with us. And when I say ourselves, I mean all our different self-states, all our different parts. We all have parts. There's even a book about uh, internal family systems um, talks about parts, that we all have parts. Different modalities talk about, some people talk about parts. There's another a writer called... Bromberg, I can't remember what his first name is, but he talks about self-states. And so whether we talk about aspects of our personality or self-states or it's kind of all the same thing because I guess you could call it different groups of implicit memories and different parts of us that have sometimes been dissociated. Sometimes we've split off from them. Sometimes we've just tried to bury them. And all of these different parts of us develop at different ages. And as an adult now, part of our job is actually to integrate all of this and to be present with all the aspects of ourself. When we've had trauma, the, our parts can be more fragmented. So we might sometimes, only when we get into therapy, become aware of some of our different parts. And those of us who are perhaps um, more securely attached, it's less obvious if they've got 
like different parts and um the experience of going kind of going between those parts is also less obvious for those of us who've got more trauma and, and are more kind of fragmented in some way it might become very obvious when we are you know in a child or if we're in a very critical part or if we're in a very wounded part we might ourselves notice like a shift in our voice a shift in our belief system um certainly your therapist might notice that sort of stuff but the point here is that just as you um, are working to develop a secure attachment with your children, we want to be a loving adult presence. So our, our adult, our functional adult part, we want that part of us to care for all of these wounded parts of us. We're not trying to kind of ostracize them or dissociate them further. We want to kind of welcome all of ourselves in, if that makes sense. Someone I think it's Bonnie Badenoch, but she talks about our own community. So we want to welcome in our community of ourselves, essentially. And because we, we heal the past in the present moment. So we can now give each part of us what they needed at the time they were growing up when they didn't get it. I know this is kind of a little bit confusing, perhaps, and I'm throwing a lot of sort of psychotherapeutic knowledge at you with this. Um, but the thing to kind of hold on to is that we all have different parts. They are all welcome in our in our person. They all need to be integrated and they all need to be tended to. And this important ingredient, which is self-compassion, is a key, key part of doing this, a key part of starting to um, love and accept all parts of us. So many of us, we're working to heal the impacts of the past on ourselves, on our sense of self, on our behaviors, um, on our nervous system, the way we turn up in the world, um, the way we, what we expect of other people, how, what we expect of ourselves. We want to be more loving, more trusting, more open, more resilient. And we start with this by being compassionate about where we are. We can't kind of leapfrog parts of the healing journey. We have to be where we are and really accepting what's being created in our life as a result of what's happened to us and having compassion for that is, is a key aspect of moving forward. So I'm going to be drawing a lot on the research of uh, Kristen uh, Neff today and also Christopher Germa is someone else who has, she's, she's worked with and I'm going to, take some information and share it with you from uh, Kristen Neff's book, Self-Compassion. I think that's a really, if you want to buy a book about self-compassion, she's got two books. So the one is Self-Compassion and then her newest one is called Fierce Self-Compassion. I haven't actually read the latest one, but I would really recommend the first one, particularly if you struggle with self-compassion and you think somehow that it makes you weak or that you are letting yourself off the hook or that it's pathetic or you kind of associate self-compassion with something that you really don't want or you can't, doesn't feel like you can extend it to yourself. The book is very loving and has like a lot of very useful information that you can use to reparent yourself and just understand why it's so such an important part of your journey. So the way that Neff conceives of self-compassion is that there are three components and that we need to master all three of these in order to be truly self-compassionate. So the first one is self-kindness. The second one is common humanity. And the third one is mindfulness. So let's just go through those one by one. Firstly, self-kindness. 
that is about being gentle and understanding of ourselves, of noticing our experience, of narrating that to ourselves, not criticizing ourselves, not judging ourselves, not judging our feelings, not labeling our feelings in a negative way, being really kind and curious about our experience. And you can, you can imagine this as how would you treat someone else? Because many of us have been schooled in, um, the idea that other people's needs are much more important. So we are kind of geared around serving others, being kind to others, making them feel comfortable, making them feel happy or like they're being attended to. And so we're just kind of supposed to be very maybe stoical about ourselves or actually, um, ignore ourselves altogether. Because if you grew up in a family where um, your needs were never prioritized and you were always uh, focused on your parents or other family members, or you were shamed for your needs, then really focusing outwards would have been how you managed. So the idea of self-kindness um, may came with, come with actually a lot of shame. So notice if you find this hard, and that doesn't mean you don't start practicing it, but notice because sometimes a, a reaction can be that you shame yourself for needing kindness because you've been shamed for your very human needs. So then it feels like you need to reject yourself rather than give yourself self-compassion. I hope that makes sense. So let me just say that maybe in a slightly slower way, but if you were shamed for your needs, so I told you were needy or you were ignored, or marked, um, or made the scapegoat in your family for something, then it might be much more comfortable to deny your needs or, or not notice that you need care or affection or friendship. And because any need has been seen as like you're defective um, and it brings up shame. And so then the idea of extending kindness to you might bring up that shame again. You, you may have, on the one hand, like a cognitive awareness, self-compassion would be useful. And then a part of you might feel like you need to reject yourself or you're pathetic or um, something like that. Now, this is really complex stuff that, that needs to be worked through in therapy. But um, I just want to give you a kind of a taste of why self-kindness may be tricky for you. Okay, so basically that's kind of be gentle and understanding. Don't criticize yourself. Don't judge yourself. Just hold yourself lovingly. Hold yourself as you may hold a small child. That's kind of the kind of imagery that we want to be gentle and loving. Now let's talk a bit about the next one, which is uh, common humanity. So common humanity refers to the idea that there is a common lived experience among many of us. We're connected with, with others in the world, in our experience of our life and our lives. Um, rather than rather than having this idea that we're we're isolated, we're separate, we're different. Because really we are most similar in the areas we struggle in. And I can tell you that because I'm a therapist and I sit across from a lot of people who share their stuff and we all struggle in similar ways, particularly when we've had similar backgrounds. So we're connected across our life experiences and this can sometimes be a difficult thing to Makes sense of, uh, for, uh, let me show you something with you. One of my followers on Instagram commented to me once that they found it really annoying being told you're not alone. That's, that's sometimes a thing we say, especially, especially on social media, that sharing an experience and then saying you're not alone. 
in an attempt to help people know that they're not alone and that other people are experiencing the same thing. But she said, because actually in, in difficult parenting moments, we are alone. And, and that's true because, you know, at night when you're having a tricky bed and bath time or your kids won't go to sleep and you're tired of, I don't know, sitting outside their room as I do or stroking their arm or something or stroking their heads, you are in fact alone physically in that moment. But what the common humanity is, is that you can kind of think, well, across the land, there are lots of other parents doing the same thing. And I sometimes actually do that. I think to myself, I can imagine that in many houses or um, homes around me, people are going through the same experience. And that does make me feel somehow connected to a kind of a global experience of parenting where we're just desperate for our children to go to sleep, frankly. But um, it's, it's, so yes, we are physically alone, but holding in mind um, the idea that there are other people having the same experience can be comforting. Okay. And then the last one is mindfulness. And this is a, a kind of a, an important um, aspect of the, of the self-compassion because it helps maintain some sort of semblance of balance. One more thing I should just want to say about the common humanity. One of the things that Neff says in her book, which I love, about how compassion is is a an aspect of it is, is there's a common humanity, is that she highlights that the definition of compassion is to suffer with, and so it's essentially it's a relational experience. We do it with other people, and so having self compassion acknowledges that everyone suffers. It's not you might not be able to see their suffering. They may look very shiny on the outside or like they're getting everything right, but I can tell you, I promise you, everyone suffers. You might not be able to see it though. And not that we want to be comforting ourselves with other people's suffering. It's more that we are bonded by that, that we all, we are all living. We, we're, we're having our, um, our experience in our human bodies and we're imperfect. And sometimes it feels really hard to bear that imperfection. That, that is the essence of our human experience. So now this third ingredient of self-compassion mindfulness, this is holding on to our experience with a kind of a balanced awareness. So we notice what's going on. We neither exaggerate it nor minimize it. And this kind of noticing exactly what it is that's going on helps us take decisive action. If we would tend to minimize something, it means we may not take action. If we would exaggerate things, we um, may also not take the correct action because we might have a very exaggerated response or a very exaggerated way of solving whatever we're facing. And so she talks about how this aspect of self-compassion is facing up to reality and that actually facing whatever's going on for us helps us take the appropriate steps. So we know from the research that those of us who are insecurely attached struggle a lot more with self-compassion because we didn't necessarily have that extended to us um, when we were growing up. And so as we heal and become securely attached to ourselves, developing self-compassion is a really important part of that because we want to extend, we want to activate our own um, attachment system and extend the care to ourselves that we may not have got. I also want to read you a piece um, from the book Self-Compassion. So this is, I'm reading now. It says, research shows that people with higher levels of self-compassion are significantly less likely to suppress unwanted thoughts and emotions than those who lack self-compassion. 
they are more willing to experience their difficult feelings and to acknowledge that their emotions are valid and important. This is because of the safety provided by self-compassion. It's not as scary to confront emotional pain when you know that you will be supported throughout the process, just as it feels easier to open up to a close friend whom you can rely on to be caring and understanding. It's easier to open up to yourself when you can trust that your pain will be held in compassionate awareness. Now, why that is so important is because when we are trying to break cycles or shift patterns in our families, many of us did not have um, all our feelings validated growing up. We were not seen, particularly when we were having emotions that were kind of unappealing to our parents. And so you may have a sense of danger or panic or fear associated with if you're feeling rage or if you feel ambivalent about your children or some days you feel really bored or sometimes you hate being a, a mom or um, anything that you perceive of as being negative, for you, that might bring up, um, you know, you might get bodily sensations which feel um, very unpleasant. You might have noticed that your chest really tenses up or tightens or that you start to get terrible cramps in your stomach um, when some emotions come up for you. And really, we want to be becoming aware of all of that and owning our experience and allowing it. And self-compassion is really important in this because if you want to take ownership, well, first of all, if you want to help your children with um, providing space for their feelings and helping them process them, you need to be learning to do that for yourself. So you can't kind of hold space for your child to have a meltdown if you're banishing your own rage or if you can't tolerate your own ambivalence. So self-compassion really helps with that. And you can literally start by noticing how you might try and um, repress or suppress certain emotions. You know, you might have a thought around, oh, I can't bear that today I've got to be with the children all by themselves. And if you notice that you feel guilty for that thought, or um, if you want to repress it or push it away, or you can't bear, you feel too scared to tell anyone, that might be an indication that for you, it was, you know, you weren't allowed to express dislike of a situation or that any ambivalence or sort of mixed feelings weren't allowed. And instead, you can kind of turn with compassion to yourself and think, yeah, it is really tricky when I've got a day all by myself with two little people and I don't have an adult to chat to. And it feels really hard now at the beginning of the day. And that kind of softening towards yourself opens up a much bigger pathway to possibility than if you shut yourself down. Because with that softness, you know, it opens up the idea of, okay, so I really am feeling a little bit like I'm dreading today. How can I help myself? How can I make it a little bit more interesting for me? Or could we go somewhere where I might meet someone in a coffee shop to chat to? Or could we go to a soft play together? When you allow um, your own experience and soften into it, there is the pathway to change. You you don't change yourself or love and accept yourself by continuing to either repress or dissociate or try and detach from things that you find hard. I personally find um, self-compassion really useful. My husband has been traveling for work this week and I find it a lot by the end of the day to bath the people, put the people to bed, re- you know, remain present. Um, it it feels like I've, I've done a lot of self-care. I've been swimming 
you know, I've done the things that help ground me and I still find it a lot. And so I have to really extend kindness to myself to acknowledge how much I miss my husband, to acknowledge it feels really hard, to acknowledge that sometimes pushes me into a place where I might not be as loving as I could be. And I remember actually someone on Instagram shared that their husband also traveled a lot and it made me feel better to know that they too were having those type of things. And it was also a struggle for them. And the mindfulness aspect of this helps me not to get too dramatic. I can go, okay, he is coming back on Friday night. You know, it's, it's not a catastrophe. You have managed. Yes, it's been a little bit tricky, but I don't have to kind of dramatize into like, oh, it's all been terrible or I haven't managed. I have managed. And it's helpful to kind of sometimes right size the experience. I find that helpful for me. And then the first thing is just not kind of criticizing myself for the fact that I find it hard, not saying, oh, you're crap or why, um, you know, how come you're so weak that you, that you, you find this a struggle. I can just mindfully go, oh, sweet angel. It's just really tricky. You feel tired. You like the companionship. Um, and, and it feels sad. I feel it makes me, I sometimes I feel sad and lonely. And I can acknowledge all of that and know that it's, it's just, it's just how you feel in the moment. It's okay. Now I want to really emphasize that this is a, a tiny, tiny introduction. There's masses of research going on in self-compassion. Um, there's a lot more that I will share about in the future because it's so interesting what happens to our brains when we extend ourselves self-compassion. So there's, there's really a lot to talk about. So go out, read about this. Find out what interests you and, and use some of this information to be self-compassionate to yourself, please. I'm going to end on um, a story from Kristen Neff's book because it made me laugh out loud and I hope it will make you laugh and to understand um, how much we are all bonded in our common humanity. So she's describing a situation one of her graduate students um, encountered several months ago. So I'm going to read now from the book. He and his wife, Merrily, recently had a baby girl. And as a result, their three-year-old son, Finn, started displaying some challenging behaviors. One day, when returning home from an errand, Pittman found his supposedly toilet-trained son peeing on the living room wall. When confronted about this, Finn just turned towards his dad, flashed an evil grin, and said, I hate you. Thank God for Pittman's self-compassion practice, though anyone would have understood if he had lost it. He managed to stay centered, take a few deep breaths, and give himself compassion for how difficult and challenging the moment was. It's helped him to refocus and remember that, outward signs to the contrary, Finn was not simply being naughty. He was actually suffering from the very human emotion of jealousy, and at three, was ill-equipped to deal with it effectively. Instead of getting angry at Finn, therefore, he sat down and put his arm around his shoulder. First, he acknowledged Finn's feelings of frustration at the change in the household routine. I know this is hard for you right now because your baby sister is taking up so much of our attention. But your mom and I love you more than ever. Finn's unhappy mood started to lift almost instantly, as did Pittman's. He even started to see the humor of the situation, knowing he'd have a good story to dine out on for years. The more Finn feels reassured of his parents' love and support as he adjusts to the new member of his family, especially when he acts out, the more he'll realize that his parents' love is unshakable, even though their walls may have a little bit, maybe a little bit stained. Okay. So I love that story. And, um, I think that 
you know, I, I shared a story last week. I think, I think it was last week about my child when she had an absolute meltdown because my other child got to turn off the car. And you'll notice that as soon as you are compassionate to your children, they kind of collapse into you and just soften because they feel seen and they're not being, um, they're not being punished and they are gaining understanding of actually why they are behaving in a way that they are because you're helping them. You're helping them understand what's going on for them. And that story that I just read, your child may not have weed up against the wall, but the, particularly when siblings are born, that story of the elder child really, really struggling with the little treasure who's been born is very common. So please know that you are not alone. You may be alone physically in your house. Yes. As I am now, actually. Well, I mean, I've got my kids with me, but solo parenting and know that someone else out there has had or is having a similar experience to you. And so please, can you try and use some of these aspects of self-compassion to soothe yourself, be kind to yourself, because ultimately self-compassion is the kind of, it's the portal to change, really. So I hope that's given you some food for thought and thanks for being here. Take really good care. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up, hosted by Kath Cunahan. We'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart-centered, connected, authentic, and resilient living.